Bye-bye. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hala at us. This is episode one of our podcast. We are Aliza Einstein and Orly Swifak, two Jewish study minors at Colgate University who love to cook kosher food and talk about all things Jewish. Today, we're going to be talking about two different aspects of the spreading of Jewish food. The incorporation of Southern slash African-American style cooking into Jewish recipes. And the popularization of traditional Jewish foods in American cuisine. I'm from Potomac, Maryland, and I grew up going to Jewish summer camp, keeping a kosher home, and I consider myself a conservative Jew, and I love kosher food. Hey, everyone. I'm from Randolph, New Jersey, and I grew up going to the Hebrew Academy of Morris County, a small Jewish day school in my town. I've always kept kosher in my house and love talking about and cooking Jewish food. Oh my gosh, I love cooking Jewish foods as well. Um, fun fact about Orly and I, we actually have an Instagram called Hala at Us where we post our kosher cooking and our bio is healthiest college eats because we cook everything in our um, semi-kosher kitchen in our apartment. But yeah, so today we're going to be talking about different aspects of American Jewish cooking. So talking about kosher food, my grandma called me, funny story. My grandma called me last week and she was on a talk. And this talk had this guy named Michael Twitty and he's an African-American Jewish writer, historian, educator, and author of this famous cookbook called Kosher Soul. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't, but it sounds cool. Yes, my grandma called me. She was actually at one of his talks via Zoom. She was like, this guy is really cool. He makes really cool food. You should learn about that. So I was like, cool, I'm going to look into that. So Kosher Soul is the name of his cookbook. And he says it's not just a kosher cookbook. It's a memoir about how African-American and Southern cooking is integrated into Jewish cooking and vice versa. He connects typical Jewish cooking with African-American culture, all while preserving African-American foodways. Do you know anything about that? No, I haven't. I haven't really looked into African-American or Southern cooking before, but it sounds really cool, especially integrated with Jewish recipes. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I hope that our discussion today will inspire others and us to experiment with integrating different cultures into our cooking definitely uh, yeah <laughs> so some typical southern cuisine um is catfish gumbo fried chicken made from buttermilk all of that isn't your typical kosher jewish food so what really is kosher soul cuisine i had to look a little bit deeper so this cuisine is not just adding Cajun spices to matzo ball soup. Chicken soup is made with the addition of Senegalese ingredients, um, and Senegal is in Western Africa. So Michael Twitty talks about integrating Western African culture into his food. So among your typical matzo ball soup ingredients of onion and chicken, um, Michael Twitty crafts a culinary experience with spices such as ginger, curry powder, coriander, and all combined with peanut butter. Wow, I never would have thought to put peanut butter in matzo ball soup. That's way different from my Bubby's matzo ball soup recipe. You're exactly right. Twitty says to combine peanut butter and chicken stock in a blender and puree and then add to the chicken soup. It makes it really creamy. Wow. On top, he says to garnish with peanuts, scallions, and parsley. 
The main proteins in Senegal are peanuts and seafood and chicken with staples like peas and sweet potatoes. These African recipes are passed down from Sephardic Jews across generations and brought into African-American cuisine in the American South. Wow, I think that's so interesting. We'll definitely have to try adding peanut butter to our matzo ball soup next time. Yeah. I think it's so cool how the author weaves together aspects from different cultures into Jewish cooking, going back to his roots. I find it interesting, however, how typical Ashkenazi food has been adapted into modern American culture. While you were describing the Senegalese-inspired chicken soup, I couldn't help but think about how on almost every block in New York City, you can pop into a Jewish deli or diner and order a matzo ball soup. Matzo ball chicken soup, also known as Jewish penicillin, has a long history with the Jewish people. When the Jewish people lived in shtetls in Poland, Every year before the Yom Kippur fast, it would be commonplace for everyone to perform the act of kaparo, where one swings a chicken above their head to be granted atonement and brings their chicken to the slaughterhouse. And then when people would walk through the shtetl, everyone would be smelling the matzo ball chicken soup. Doesn't that sound so good? Yeah, I never heard about that with the chicken and then you use it. That's the chicken that you slaughter and then yeah, and it, it goes right soup. into your soup. That's crazy. It's very farm to table. Yeah, but nowadays people don't really swing chickens above their heads unless they're really religious. Now people usually just swing money around their head. But I think it's really cool how the whole town smelled like chicken soup. Mm, I love the smell of chicken soup. And like I was saying before, it's nearly impossible to walk into a Jewish deli or a diner and not see matzo ball soup on the menu. Question for you. So are these Jewish delis and diners kosher or they're just Jewish style? They're definitely not kosher all the time. And whenever delis say Jewish style, if you keep kosher, you should always be sure to ask if they are kosher because Jewish style does not always mean that it is kosher. But there certainly are kosher delis and diners. Gotcha. That's interesting. Another food that gained a lot of popularity in America was the bagel. Now, most Colgate students have heard of flour and salt. But what they don't know is the true origin of the bagel in Jewish history. So in Poland in the 1300s, there was a lot of anti-Semitism and Jewish people were banned from baking breads. This was mostly because of the Christian connection between bread and God and Jesus. So they didn't really want Jewish people baking bread. The only caveat was if the bread was boiled. So the Jewish people were allowed to make and sell bagels. Many Polish Jews were forced to sell bagels on the street to earn a little bit of money to save a life because they were so poor in the shtetl. A really cool fact is that in medieval Poland, Jewish people thought that the round shape of the bagel would bring good luck and symbolize a long life. Oh, that kind of sounds like the round shape of the challah um, that we eat for Rosh Hashanah. Exactly. That's why they thought that about the bagel. Now in America, each year we spend about three quarters of a billion dollars on bagels each year. No way. And although their popularity has grown exponentially over the years, since it came to America, at least superficially, bagels have been acknowledged to be a classic Jewish food, especially with a large schmear or some white fish. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about how Jewish food has become more modern in American cuisine? Yeah, sure. There was definitely a revitalization of Jewish food in America in recent years to market to modern audiences. 
one example of this is a speakeasy called Second Floor in New York, where you can order a cocktail and you can also have snacks like the filter croquettes, bone broth, and pastrami double bags. No way. Another deli in Los Angeles serves kasha lace tartare, pastrami plates, and sweet bread schnitzel. What? And on TikTok, you can always find some popular Jewish chefs like Jake Cohen and Jeremy Sheck showing modern twists on classic Jewish food like pumpkin spice babka and cacio e pepe rugelach. Yum. That was really great. I think that's really cool. I'll definitely have to check those out. I do love TikTok as well. So I know Hanukkah is coming up. Are you excited for Hanukkah? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, me too. Um, So... Typical Hanukkah traditions are eating foods fried in oil because the oil in the temple lasted for eight days. That was like the tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the foods fried in oil are latkes, potato pancakes. And I love you know latkes. Me too. Me too. You know, something that I'm going to have to try this year is Michael Twitty's latkes. He does do the traditional um, latkes and, or potato, potato pancakes. But he incorporates it a little bit more. He does Louisiana-style lockers. What goes into those? Yeah. So he said that um, they include a little bit of the Trinity, which is garlic, green onion, and celery with hot cayenne pepper. So it's your classic potatoes, onion, celery, garlic, cayenne, and flour or matzo meal and salt and of course oil for frying but yeah he he's a big fan of those and I think that that's really interesting because he adapts the Hanukkah recipes and adapts them to his roots and his culture and putting his own spin on them I recall somewhere else he talks about like a sour apple slaw to dip the lockers in because some people dip them in applesauce wow that's interesting yeah I'm wondering, you know, I feel like potato pancakes are so, so common, and it's very interesting how he puts his own spin on them, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering, in terms of your area, how potato pancakes or lakas are are viewed in the modern secularization of America. Yeah, definitely. So something really cool about latkes is that they gained popularity in Eastern Europe in the 19th century due to a series of crop failures in Poland and Ukraine. So a lot of people were growing potatoes and they made latkes from them. Wow. But now anyone can walk into a diner, order some potato pancakes, and not even know the origins of the latke. That's so true. Yeah, I do love latkes. And this Hanukkah, we definitely have to try all these new recipes. And, you know, the classic potato pancake is always a winner in my heart but I will definitely have to try Michael Twitty's recipes to expand my palate yeah I can't wait to make them with you in a few weeks yeah me too talked a little bit about this earlier how peas are an interesting staple I don't know if you recall but I was particularly inspired by Michael Twitty's black-eyed pea hummus have you ever heard Mm. of a hummus like that no yeah me neither I thought that that was like really very cool um so basically this recipe has to do with his roots because he talks about how the black-eyed pea is a symbol of good luck and it's a celebratory food on the anniversary of emancipation 
And he tries to incorporate that into hummus, which is a popular dip, and make it his own thing. So he does black-eyed pea hummus um, with garlic, black-eyed peas, tahini, of course, lemon. And he interestingly puts Spanish paprika and dried chilies in it. And he makes it very spicy. But it's, it's a great way for him to... I mean, everyone, it's a great way to like learn about traditional hummus and his spin on Southern cooking because hummus is so versatile. You could jazz up hummus any, any way you want. And this black eyed pea hummus has such, such great potential. And it's, it sounds very enjoyable. You know what would taste really good in that hummus? No, tell me. Challah. And do you know what's challah. really interesting about challah? What? There is a long history of it in Europe. There was also a large transformation of challah in America. The word challah was first mentioned in the book Like at Yosher in the 1500s in Austria, but challah really took hold in Poland. So Jewish people were always speaking challah on Shabbat but challah wasn't always the rich, sweet, and flavorful bread that Jewish people eat on Friday nights. In medieval times, challah used to be very plain and simple. But since it came to America, challah was transformed. Challahs mm. got bigger and sweeter. And better. And better, especially with new and inexpensive ingredients like eggs, sugar, and poppy seeds, people transformed their challahs. Mm, that sounds so good. I love challah. It also changed with the availability of yeast. People wow. didn't have really great yeast producing methods back then, but once there was a market for yeast, people were able to make sweeter, saltier, and better challahs. Mm, that sounds so good. Now, challahs are found in every grocery store and every diner in America because people love making challah French toast. People love just having a loaf in their house. People all over America buy challahs in supermarkets in order to make their own challah French toast. So you mean I can I can just roll into Price Chopper right now and get a challah? I don't know about Price Chopper in upstate New York, but you can definitely oh. find one in any grocery store in New Jersey. And, and it's they're really, kosher. Yeah. And it's really yeah. interesting how challah has so much religious meaning to Jewish people, eating it every Friday night and on major holidays. It's so crazy that people all over America, Jewish and non-Jewish, are eating challahs. Wow. That's really cool. You know, I think after all this conversation, there's, it, you know, it, it just bridges the gap that there's so much more about Jewish cooking and Jewish cuisine that can be expanded upon and can be related to it's just it's more than your classic like potato pancake or challah like there's so many more aspects and this is shown all over America and I Mm -hmm. I really you know everyone says like America land of opportunity mixing pot all this stuff melting pot melting pot but sorry but like there's really so many dimensions and i i think that it's like it's the best of both worlds it's not Mm -hmm. just you get that traditional heartwarming jewish food 
and you get the key little twist yeah with the twist like you know what i can't wait for what i can't wait for the future to see all the new inventions and mixing of jewish food into other cultures to see what kind of cool food will be created yeah and that we can make too yeah i was just like as we were talking about Michael Twitty, I was like skimming through his cookbook and there were a bunch of recipes that I would, I would never have even thought of. They, mm-hmm. He was talking about like matzo meal fried chicken and oh. mac and cheese kugel. Um, and it's, I think that's crazy. I think that's great. I think it's really important for us to learn about cultures outside of our own and different customs and to see how these traditional dishes have been adapted to incorporate different customs and cultures. And I think that for anyone who's interested in kosher cooking or African-American cuisine or Southern cuisine or just about food in general, like some average person living in New York City who visits the Katz's Deli, like anybody, there's such great potential for this for this up and coming adaptation Mm -hmm. Um, you're so right yeah and I really hope today we've inspired other people to experiment with integrating their different cultures into their cooking and really like having an open mind you know I I don't think I would have ever you know even thought about cooking a Senegalese inspired chicken soup instead of my matzo soup but you know I think that I really want to try it I I, I've never had peanut butter soup before me neither I'm looking forward to trying it too yeah I think that would be good and I think that it's really really interesting how aspects have developed and changed and really how pressing these cultural matters are Mm mm-hmm it's so crazy how all of these foods have such a long history and such significance in Judaism. And now it's really being integrated in so many different aspects of American life. Yeah, I think that we had a really productive conversation today. And I feel I feel like we we had a really great time. And I think that we've presented a lot of intriguing discussions that are you know, up for debate, but up for discussion mm-hmm. um, and lots of reflections. I think that it's interesting to consider the different ways that food and religion adapt to one one another and especially outside influences. I think that it's really inter- interesting and it's important for us to be educated. Open- yeah, educated. I agree. Well, this has been Hala Adas with Orly Swivak and Elisa Einstein. And now a message from our sponsors. This episode of Kala at Us is sponsored by the Colgate Jewish Union. Shabbat services every Friday at 5.30. Shout out to Rabbi Barron for being a mentor for CJU and always providing funding. Dancing with the gym, oh.